Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week three of the college football season. Week two provided lots of highlights, and week three might be a little bit lighter, but uh, that just means that there's more opportunities for upsets if if you don't have a lot of big ranked-on-ranked matchups. I'll get to that a little later, but let's start with what went on last Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in what made up week two, starting with number one Clemson against Texas A&M. And Clemson, I think, is going to be the kind of team that can just turn it on whenever they want. They didn't look particularly impressive in this game, um, especially at the start, ultimately winning 24-10. to Texas A&M scoring a touchdown in the final seconds for a nice backdoor cover Uh, my only win of three picks for the week. But I think we're going to see this a lot from this Clemson team, where they know, uh, especially on offense, the defense, you know, it's kind of hard to turn it up and and dial it back on defense, and I expect them to mostly shut teams down. But I think on the offensive side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence knows that he can kind of make it happen whenever he needs to, and you'll see him put together a few drives. Uh, He made a couple amazing passes when this game was sort of still in the balance Um, And and I think that that's going to be a common theme, that you're just a couple quick strike, four, five, six play drives where it's just like, wow, that was incredibly easy. Um, And they'll do that enough times to kind of pull away and stay comfortably ahead. But uh, it just looks like a very relaxed, very, you know, for lack of a better term, professional team. Uh, Really impressed with some of the speed at those skill position spots. Travis Etienne. Uh, In particular, every time they hand him the ball, it looks like he's just shot out of a cannon. You know, it's it's a common a common theme in college football these days is the lack of parity. And are we just waiting for for Alabama and Clemson again? I said uh, on the preview show uh, for this season, I I expect Clemson to waltz their way to 15-0 for the second consecutive season. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again in 2020. I really think that we could be looking at something like a 45-game win streak for Clemson entering the 2021 season. Um, the other marquee matchup that, that proved to be a much more exciting game was LSU going to Texas and winning 45-38. to And it's a new day in Baton Rouge for this LSU offense. They brought in Joe Brady uh, from the New Orleans Saints. He has completely revolutionized this offense. Uh, it's it's always been LSU's always had uh, the great defense, and, and under Les Miles, never could get the offense going. Could not get the offense going uh, in these first few years under Ed Orgeron. Even bringing in uh, transfer Joe Burrow from Ohio State was not particularly uh, productive last season. But they bring in the new scheme. They go wide. They're spreading it out. They're hitting a bunch of different receivers and. I think with this performance, LSU might have jumped into that group of four real contenders that I mentioned last week. I mentioned Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Uh, I now, LSU might have jumped into that grouping. Certainly, I would put them probably as fifth place. The defense was concerning. I mean, Texas is certainly a good team. 
But uh, to get ripped apart the way they did for 38 points, a little bit concerning. But I definitely think LSU is showing themselves. Uh, and if they're with some of the athletes they have on defense, if their offense is capable of hitting a ceiling like this, because in the past they really have not, they haven't been capable of that kind of performance. So if that's the ceiling of this offense to complement the athletes they have on defense, even though the defense may be not as good as in recent years, that at least uh, puts it all together where they should be able to compete say, with Alabama. Usually, if they want to compete with Alabama, they need to keep that game, you know, around 10 in the low teens. Uh, and, and that's been the case in recent years where LSU hasn't scored more than a touchdown or two uh, in any of those matchups. This year, they have the weapons to at least compete. Uh, so we'll have to see uh, how that goes forward. But Joe Burrow putting himself on that Heisman watch list early here in the season. Um you know, aside from that, there weren't a ton of big-time matchups, but college football is great because so many games went to overtime. There's just so much exciting stuff happening. Even if you didn't really care that much about the outcomes of these games, or, or if you went into the game not caring about the outcome, you can usually find a way or a reason to care. And so many of these games going to overtime uh, this past weekend, very exciting. The most notable one, of course, Michigan outlasting Army 24 to 21. Now, given the light slate uh, next week uh, and, and just the fact that I'm not going to have a ton of things to talk about, and probably, you know, this the origins of this podcast are, are deeply rooted uh, in Michigan football, um, I, I am going to spend a little bit of time here talking about Michigan because it seems like the, the college football landscape has been talking about it quite a bit uh, this over the course of this week. And I think there are some, some important takeaways and some things that you can maybe brush away and say it's not that big a deal. Uh, right off the bat, sure, we'll acknowledge there was a bad call in this game that would have given Michigan another touchdown, um, and, and who knows how, how that impacts the game there. Um, another item, Michigan was missing its starting left tackle for this game. So that is another thing that you have to look at and say, okay, they were having serious trouble running the ball. Well, at least they were missing uh, their one of their best, uh, po- probably their best offensive lineman there in John Runyon Jr. That being said, Army is not a bad team. I think everyone knows that. But Army is not built to be able to hold a team like Michigan to 2.4 yards per carry. Um, that's... Whether you have your left tackle or not, that has to be a concern for Michigan moving forward, that they were not able to win at the point of attack, win the line of scrimmage, and move the ball effectively on Army. You know, people want to say, look, last year Army and Oklahoma played and and Oklahoma had to go to overtime to win. Absolutely true. That being said, and I, I can only go based on the box score because no one was able to watch that Oklahoma Army game. In that game, Oklahoma scored fairly easily pretty much every time they had the ball, and it was just a situation where Army just dominated time of possession. They controlled the ball. They were hyper-efficient with it. In this game, Army was turning the ball over as well. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a concern there, that it's not as if Army played some perfect game. So now that we've kind of said, you know, why why there were maybe some reasons that Michigan struggled in this game. I think there's also then you have to pivot, aside from that offensive line play, some additional concerns in terms of what's going on 
with Shea Patterson and what's going on with Josh Gaddis. Now the Gaddis thing uh, I only bring up because when Andrew uh, joined the show earlier this season to give a Michigan preview, that was a big part of the preview that Josh Gaddis was coming in. Uh, you know, he spent time as uh, on on the staff at Penn State with Trace McSorley and spent time last year at Alabama uh, in that high power offense. And he was going to come in and revolutionize the Michigan offense much the same way that Joe Brady is doing for LSU. Um, now kind of an inside baseball type thing here in the offseason. So the offensive coordinator at Alabama was Mike Loxley, and uh, one of one of his assistants was Josh Gaddis. Mike Loxley now at the head coach at Maryland. And there was some headbutting going on there about who really was uh, the, the reason for Alabama's offensive success. And Maryland at this point has, through two games, is averaging 71 points per game, while we've seen Michigan's offense sputter a little bit. So, again, through two games, is that a big enough sample size to to really make a judgment on that? No, but it's, you know, it's college football. We, we just kind of uh, throw things out and run with them. And, and I think that it's, you know, worth mentioning that kind of the the tandem that created uh, or helped create that, that awesome offense at Alabama last year, one guy uh, is really putting up huge numbers uh, Maryland, I should mention, beating Syracuse 63-20 to this week. And so far, we're not seeing it uh, from, from Josh Gaddis's offense at Michigan. That then kind of funnels to the final point. Is the problem just Shea Patterson? Uh, I know they're missing Donovan Peoples-Jones, but uh, Tariq Black has been there. Nico Collins continues to impress me so much. I'm still, uh, I'm still waiting to see uh, Tariq Black and, and what really... I don't know, he just looks like a guy who's who's good, but not quite uh, the talent that uh, I expected him to be coming out of high school and kind of with uh, with the word around him his first uh, few years at Michigan when he's been healthy. Nico Collins, though, is fantastic. Uh, the tight end, McEwen, good player. There are weapons for Shea Patterson to be going to in this offense. Sometimes he just misses open receivers. Uh, sometimes I think that he has bad pocket presence where he's kind of... Uh, you know, falling backwards instead of stepping up and, and, and making confident throws. I don't know. I, I've seen, uh, I watch a fair amount of Michigan. I've seen Dylan McCaffrey, uh, you know, last year in the Notre Dame-Michigan game, Dylan McCaffrey came in for Shea Patterson and was much more effective in his limited time playing. I think Dylan McCaffrey is the better quarterback. Obviously, the Michigan coaches uh, see a lot more of that quarterback comp- competition than I do, uh, but I just... I don't know. If, if Patterson doesn't going, get it going pretty soon, they've got an off week here before heading to Madison to play Wisconsin. I could see this team being turned over uh, to Dylan McCaffrey before, uh, before too long. Uh, moving on um, to, let's see here. Oh, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Maryland uh, beating Syracuse uh, in, in 63 to 20. And, at this point, uh, with with that loss, every uh, everyone that came on the ACC preview pod to uh, to give their predictions for their team uh, through through just two games, all four teams are uh, are doing one game worse than projected uh, by the uh, the experts. There, Maryland, uh, Syracuse was predicted at two and zero. They're now one and one. Pittsburgh, of course, lost week one to Virginia. They're one and one. They were predicted two and zero. Florida State uh, was predicted 2-0. They lost week one to Boise, uh, and 
went to overtime against Louisiana Monroe this week where they were able to get the win on a missed extra point there. And Miami uh, falls to 0-2, predicted to start 1-1. They lost at North Carolina. They were one of my my picks of the week uh, there, and I was I was wrong. I'm a little concerned about uh, the start Manny Diaz is off to in Miami and whether or not they'll be able to recover in the Coastal this year. Unfortunately, you know, couldn't get anyone uh, couldn't get anyone on the podcast to talk about Wake Forest, who has started two and zero. Uh, they've become kind of the the darlings of Friday night college football. They're playing again on Friday night this coming week, and they will hope to get to three and zero. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that game in a little bit because there's a there's a strange little nugget uh, involved in that one. Um, other games of note from last weekend. I don't blame you if you didn't stay up to see the end of the Cal Washington game. Cal completed the upset twenty to nineteen in a game that ended at like four thirty a.m. Eastern time. Uh, it was you know it was supposed to start. Uh, late on the West Coast to begin with. There was then a a lightning delay. And anyway, this game kind of gets buried because no one was awake to see it. But Washington, supposed to be one of the contenders in the Pac-12, maybe their best chance at a playoff berth after after Oregon lost to Auburn Open the season. Washington falls in their first Pac-12 game of the season uh, right in week two. So certainly some concerns for Chris Peterson and the Huskies there. Uh, Jacob Eason was not sharp in this one, and this just uh, this opens up the door for a team like Utah to potentially uh, be the last remaining hope for the Pac-12, although there's a team in Los Angeles that might have something to say about that. USC beat Stanford 45-20. to Keaton Slovis throws for 377 and three touchdowns in his first career start. Um... You know, Stanford was without starting quarterback K.J. Costello. Uh, they were also without left tackle Walker Little. It was just announced he's now going to be out for the year. I said uh, in, in the season preview, I don't expect Stanford to be very good this year. Uh, I also didn't expect them to give up 45 points to a true freshman quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if USC can right the ship. I mean, their first six games of the season are such a brutal stretch. Uh, they're, they're only going to start to get harder. Um, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on USC and see uh, see what this new young quarterback is able to do, and if he's able to, you know, really adapt Graham Harrell's offense and help save uh, Clay Helton's job. He's got a great group of receivers in Michael Pittman, uh, Tyler Vaughns, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So um, yeah, that that's you know certainly a, a fun offense, and, and whether or not they can keep it rolling, we will have to see. Uh, I'll just note that UCF beat Florida Atlantic 48-14, to only mentioning that because UCF uh, extended their streak of games scoring over 30 points in a game. That's 28 straight games for UCF, the longest streak in the nation. We'll be keeping an eye on that streak every week uh, throughout the season until until it ends, or until the season ends. Um Three other overtime games I'll mention. This I, I told you there was a lot of fun stuff if you were just kind of lying back and and watching college football all day. Maybe you had some friends over and ate a random cheesy loaf of bread uh, before drinking a bunch of spiked seltzers and going to see It Chapter 2. 
If you happen to be doing that, you probably caught Colorado making a great comeback against Nebraska to win 34-31 in overtime. Um, people ask me, because I, I mentioned uh, I, I picked Nebraska to be the upset uh, Big Ten champion. Uh, so people have asked me, do I want to back off that? They, they asked me after only the 14-point win against South Alabama, now after the loss against Colorado. I'll say this. Nebraska has now played 14 games under head coach Scott Frost. Seven of those games have been decided by one score. And in those seven games, Nebraska is 1-6. That is the kind of luck that will turn around eventually. Uh, this was a thing with Notre Dame. When Brian Kelly got there through 2010-2011, uh, they could not win a one-score game. Uh, 2012, that turned around, and obviously they, they had a lot of... Uh, a lot of good success in close games. Then 13-14, again, uh, a, lot of, a lot of struggles in one-score games. And then, and 16, of course, was a disaster. But then seasons, you know, 2015, 2017, 2018, a lot of success in one-score games. So that's certainly something that, uh, that can happen in bunches. And once you get your team right, once you get your leadership uh, together, and this is something that's going to be consistently building throughout the season at Nebraska, those are the kind of things that can change those one-score games. It's about culture, it's about program, and I believe Scott Frost is building that. So while you've seen them lose these close games uh, over the last year and now two games, I expect that you will, uh, as the season goes on, you'll see Nebraska get better in those games, they start to win those games, and that's how uh, an entire season can flip. Um, talking about a team that I, I don't think it's going to get better for, and that's Tennessee. BYU went to Tennessee, won 29 to 26 in overtime. This is they BYU was down by three with like 15 seconds left at their own 20-yard line. They threw a 64-yard pass to set up a game-tying touchdown. Things are bad in Tennessee. I don't expect them to get better. Better, um, and but certainly an exciting game there. And lastly, I'll just mention, because we're, we're doing all the, the overtime games, five in total, Minnesota outlast Fresno State 38-35, to winning that one in overtime. So that's about it from week two. Um, before I get into week three, I'll just remind you that rentlikeachampion.com is a great place to go if you're looking to rent a house for a college football weekend. If you're getting together with friends to go to a game, you don't want to stay at a hotel, uh, they can be you know, far away or expensive or really just not fun to share, uh, rentlikeachampion.com, you, you get a full-size house, you probably have a yard, a grill, who knows what's on there, it all says it on the website. Uh, but go to rentlikeachampion.com, use promo code SCOOP, that's S-C-O-O-P, you might get $25 off. I'll be using rentlikeachampion.com twice this season. I've already used rentlikeachampion.com. I will be staying in houses uh, coming up this season, both at Georgia, coming up in a week and a half, and then uh, at Notre Dame for the USC game uh, a little bit into October. So use rentlikeachampion.com and use promo code SCOOP. All right, moving on to week three. Uh, I mentioned that, that Friday night Wake Forest-North Carolina game. I, I mentioned this not just because uh, Wake Forest is 2-0 is and, and, and they've played every Friday night and it's a nice nice little treat if, if nothing's going on. This is fun because it's two ACC teams playing, together, uh, playing against each other in a non-conference matchup. 
That's right. Uh, given the, the way the ACC schedule works with the two different divisions, North Carolina and Wake Forest were not uh, scheduled enough for the two teams liking. So they just went ahead and scheduled each other in the non-conference. So you have two ACC foes going at it. Will not count in the conference standings. Um, in terms of week three, it, not a lot of big-time marquee matchups. Uh, this podcast often references apple-picking weeks. Uh, you know, you might want to go to a pumpkin patch, do something with your loved ones. This might be a good week to do it. But on the flip side, when you have a lot of these matchups that seem unassuming, and it's a lot of, you know, high-level teams versus much weaker foes, that's when you have the chance for major upsets and the carnage that we love about college football. Um, so with that, you know, given that it's hard to just pick out a few games that are really important to watch, I'm just going to run through the schedule a little bit and tell you what might be worth keeping an eye on for one reason or another. Uh, we got two games at noon that could be worth watching. Ohio State goes to Indiana. Always seems like a weird matchup when these two teams play. Indiana seems to give Ohio State a tough game uh, much more often than they should based on the talent levels. Um, Ohio State going on the road for the first time, potentially a sleepy environment in Bloomington. Just watch for that one to stay close longer than you might expect. Uh, we'll see how Justin Fields handles his first start on the road. And the second noon game that I think is worth uh, watching, certainly not a rivalry or anything like that. But Pittsburgh goes to Penn State, um, and this will be, you know, Penn State has looked great uh, out of the gate. Sorry for rhyming, uh, but they've, they've done it against weak competition, beating Buffalo last week, and I believe Idaho in week one. So this will be a good, uh, a better test to see where Penn State is in the post-Trace McSorley era. Uh, then at 2.30 this week, I'll just mention uh, Notre Dame plays New Mexico. Notre Dame opened up as a 37-point favorite. It's now down to 35. Either way, that is the biggest spread that I can remember since I've been following both Notre Dame and knowing what spreads are. Um, and part of that, you know, Notre Dame's just typically not a team uh, that, that's going to score a ton of points. I guess uh, Vegas feels like, you know, this this offense and, and Ian Book uh, can do that. I don't know with, with the skill position guys that are out and, and what Notre Dame has right now if that if that spread is one that I, I think they're likely to hit. But uh, but New Mexico is not a good team, and, and that's part of the reason why uh, <laughs> that's part of the reason why the spread is what it is. Notre Dame typically their cupcakes are usually teams that are at least a, a level ahead of New Mexico, um, which which would explain why they typically don't have the spreads that high. What am I looking for in this game? It's gonna be hard to to learn a lot. Um, you know, if Notre Dame scores fewer than, say, 35 points, I would be concerned about the offense. And if they allowed more than about 14 points, I'd probably be concerned about the defense. So you put that together, if Notre Dame wins 35-14, I don't think anyone's going to be happy, but I think we'll live with that and we'll try to figure it out going to Georgia. Um, but anything worse than 35-14 in either direction, uh, probably some cause for concern. Uh, an hour later at 3.30, Stanford goes to UCF. We're only keeping an eye on that one because, hey, can that streak of 30-plus point games reach 29 for the UCF Knights? Also at 3.30, USC goes to BYU. Uh, this is a chance to watch Keaton Slovis at a, at a reasonable hour. Uh, this is also one of my three uh, picks of the week. I love the Trojans 
minus three and a half in this spot. BYU is coming off two huge games, uh, first playing their, their arch rival Utah, then going to Tennessee and getting that hard-fought win in overtime. Um, so, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say that USC coming into BYU isn't a huge game, but it's kind of just par for the course for what that team has been up to. I still think they're really bad. Um, this is not like a big USC play. It's more of a, I don't think BYU is very good play. And I think with that offense, uh, BYU is going to have a really hard time keeping up. And therefore I think USC easily wins that game by a touchdown. You can lay the three and a half there. Um, at four o'clock, Arizona State goes to Michigan State. Uh, both teams are 2-0, and I'm just pretty confident this game will be weird. You got Herm Edwards versus Mark D'Antonio. Um, yeah, I'm sure something strange is going to happen. Just I, I, there, I know that you can't make a bet on that. That's not like a spread, but just mark my words. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a weird weird game. Uh, also at four. This battle for the Cyhawk Trophy, the site of college game day for the first time ever. Iowa visits Ames and plays the Iowa State Cyclones. I think this is going to be a really good game. Uh, Iowa State 1-0, but had to, go, uh, had to go to overtime against a bad team to get there. For that reason, I think uh, Vegas is... is Maybe overreacting to that performance. I still expect this Iowa State team to be good. Uh, head coach Matt Campbell with a week off to prepare for this rivalry game. I love Iowa State here playing at home. They are getting two and a half points. This one feels like just about the lock of the entire season. I absolutely love Iowa State in this spot. Take the free points. They're going to win outright. Enjoy your free money. Uh, then at that point, we're going to move ahead to the nighttime slate. Florida goes to Kentucky. This probably would have been an interesting game, but Kentucky's quarterback just got hurt. I doubt they're going to be able uh, to really put together much of a fight against that strong Florida defense. But hey, it is a top 10 team going on the road in conference, so it might be worth keeping an eye on. 7.30, Clemson goes to Syracuse. This game would have had a little more juice had Syracuse not just lost by 40 points. Um, but Syracuse has been Clemson's one of their most difficult opponents over the last two regular seasons, beating them two years ago at home and, and playing close at Clemson last year. The key factor in this one, and why I'm pretty confident it's not going to be close, I've got, I've got some intel, and it is not Parents Weekend. You know what they say, if it's not Parents Weekend at Syracuse, Forget about it. Not going to happen. Clemson rolls in this one. That offense is going to look like a machine playing indoors on that turf. I would not be surprised to see them put up 49 points. Let's call this one 49-14. Clemson rolls in that one. Uh, at 7.30, Florida State goes to UVA. Uh, this one could be fun if you're just into watching... Uh, Big-time programs catch on fire uh, because I think that that is maybe what we're seeing with Florida State with how poorly they have played through two weeks this season. That being said, maybe getting away from Tallahassee, getting away from the home crowd that's starting to boo them, uh, and just playing against a good team, they're finally uh, they're finally an underdog. So it, it's maybe just a different position, a different mindset. Could Florida State battle back. They say, okay, now we're underdogs. No one's expecting anything of us. We're playing on the road. We're in a hostile environment. 
can they take that and turn this into a positive? This is their chance to turn the season around. It could happen this week, week three at Virginia. I'm not pre predicting it to happen. I still think Virginia wins, but this is kind of a turning point. They could turn their whole season around. I still think it's conceivable they win this game. They've got a lot of toss-up games in the ACC. Games against teams like Wake Forest, like Syracuse, like Boston College, like Miami. All games that theoretically they can win, but all games they could also lose. This is the kind of game that can turn the whole season around for Florida State. You could see them getting to an 8-4 and four type season. But if they lose this one, I think they are headed for that 5-7 and seven season that I predicted uh, in the ACC preview show. Uh, last one I'll mention, 8 o'clock. Uh, so this is a this is a chance to see some uh, some Pac-12 after dark, but not quite after dark. Uh, Oklahoma goes to UCLA. UCLA, one of those big name programs that pro programs that's just having a ton of problems so far this season. They're 0 and 2. Chip Kelly looks completely lost. I expect this to be a complete blowout. Oklahoma uh, has the kind of offense that you know just scores. Uh, 42 points by accident. I don't think UCLA is going to be able to keep up. I'm going to lay the 23 and a half there. I expect Oklahoma to win this game by four touchdowns. No problem. Once again, my three picks for the week, USC minus three and a half, Iowa State plus two and a half, and Oklahoma minus 23 and a half. I'm three and three on the season. I got a funny feeling I'm going to be six and three after this week. Uh, that's about it for the slate of, of games this coming week. Again, if you don't watch any of these, I can't really blame you. I'll be watching, I'll be keeping an eye on everything, and I'll fill you in on what happened next week. I hope you all come back. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the apple picking. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.